Well, for quite some time now, we've been in an Old Testament study of one of the minor prophets known as Micah. And we are getting fairly close to the end of this book. It has seven chapters, and we're now, this morning, in chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. And then, a couple of weeks from now, we'll be wrapping up the series. But it's always available, of course, uh, either on live stream or uh, in podcast form, if you happen to miss that. Um, So, just a little reminder. Remember, this is a time of great spiritual decline in both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel in the 7th century. And the, uh, and the kings of Assyria have been marauding through their lands and has already, by the, as Micah had warned, at this point in time had already taken out the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom also was full of wickedness and was due its just deserts and judgment from God. And yet God was gracious and there was repentance in the time of Hezekiah and there was a a temporary relief from the sin judgment that was coming. But in time, that did not last and the people once again turned back to their wicked ways, forsaking God and his covenant and his cause. So today we pick up where once again, Micah having lifted up hope to us in chapter 5 and in parts of chapter 6, now once again he is distraught over the condition of the remnant of God's people in Judah. And he knew that judgment would be inevitably coming because of their sins. And they are somewhat cataloged for us in this passage today. Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Remember, this is not the word of men. This is the word of the living and true God. Hear it carefully. Woe is me! For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, and there's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait. For blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar that most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, 
have no confidence in a friend. Guard the door of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word always remains. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that having read your word, that we would be given the help of the Holy Spirit to illumine and enlighten our minds and our understandings to this, your precious word, this word of truth, that always stands and will always remain. And yet, Father, we will not understand it without your assistance and your help. So help us now. Give us ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. How does God want us and difficulties in our lives. We're going to run into them. <laughs> many of us already have many times. And there are still more that will come until the Lord comes the second time and makes everything right in this world again and brings a new heavens and a new earth. But for now, what are the righteous to do? What are we supposed to do? How do we deal with injustice and with evil and wickedness, suffering, calamity. How do we deal with these things? Are we to ignore them and just say, like some kind of Eastern mysticism that says, oh, don't worry, it's just, it's just all illusion. It, it's not real. It's, you just, it's just all in your head. Are we to ignore them? these kind of difficult, hard things to experience? Are we to power through them, just grit it and pull it the old American, strap on our boots and do it ourselves? Are we to get mad? Some of us like to do that. We get mad. We get angry. Others of us get run over. We just lay down and get run over. We give up. But from Micah, the prophet, we're going to see a different approach. And yet it's not one commonly sought. It's not a go-to favorite of most people on this planet, even Christians. Even those of us who know and profess the Lord, we don't kind of like this one very much. It's called, it's an invitation in this text today. God invites his people in such times as I've been describing 
to lament. To lament. Notice the title. The Song of Lamentations. That's what's going down in this passage. And how it's being dealt with by Micah, the man of God, the prophet of God. God invites his people to lament and honestly assess what we are seeing or experiencing in this broken world in which we find ourselves. And we certainly are in a time where we are finding ourselves in great trouble, in great and dire circumstances in many ways. You see, most of you, though, you do know something about this. You say, well, isn't there a book in the Bible by that name, Lamentations? The answer, of course, is yes, there is. So the Bible, obviously, God's got a place for it because he put a whole book of the 66, he put one of them in about Lamentations. He also gave us in Jeremiah the weeping prophet. That's what he was known as, the weeping prophet. Many do not know that a great many of the Psalms in God's songbook, that's what the Psalms are, God's songbook, a great many of those are songs of lament. Matter of fact, possibly somewhere approaching 40% of the Psalms have something about lamenting in them. That's a lot of having to deal with a lot of bad news and a lot of difficult circumstances in which the people of God found themselves in times then and times now. You see, and in our text today, we see Micah singing this sorrowful song of lament with a cry of disappointment and hopelessness in his soul. He had done all he could do, and now it looked like it's all going to go for naught. Micah had seen, remember, a good measure of success under the reforms of Hezekiah. But now, he enters the last few years of his ministry, and his hope is fading. It's going down for the last time. Or so it seems to him. And he sings this sorrowful song. His hope is fading because of the evil that is among his people. In some ways, he was a lot like Elijah. You remember about Elijah? Remember when he defeated the prophets of Baal and Asherah and ran a marathon and then collapsed? And basically got in such a funk that he said, God, just take my life. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. Take me home. Totally gave up. 
He said, there's nobody left. I'm the last one. God, just take me too. Of course, you know what God told him about that, don't you? He reminded him, there's 7,000 that have bowed the knee to Baal. (laughs) I got a plan. I got a purpose, Elijah. But you see, at that point, he couldn't see it, and Micah couldn't see it here. You see, he's dealing with a great sorrow in his soul. Here's our outline today. The reality, the reasons, and the release. The reality, and the reasons, and the release. First of all, the reality. What am I talking about there? I want to begin with an answer to this question. What is a lament? What is a lament? Let's do a little defining. A lament is a passionate expression of either grief or sorrow. However, a lament is not whining or grumbling. But it does express the reality of living in painful and sometimes horrible circumstances beyond your control. Micah's lament song is identified by the expression, woe is me, in verse 1. Woe is me, or some translations, what misery is mine? All of this misery, it's fallen upon me. I'm having to deal with it now. And so he cries out in anguish in his soul. How, why is this happening? Verse 1a speaks of a terrible reality that Micah would rather not have to deal with. But he is going to have to deal with it. You see, woe is me may sound like a selfish pity party, but it's not. A lament is a deeply felt cry from the soul that can express either grief or, as I said, sorrow or even anger. Pick up your Bible. Read through the Psalms. You will see some angry people dealing with sorrow and grief. And some of them were very godly people. But they were so perplexed, they couldn't understand. Why, God, why have you hidden yourself? Why are you not there? Why aren't you coming to, to rescue us? Why, aren't you, why are you being so slow? You see, a lament is not, though, a true biblical lament is not despair. But it is a deep cry directed to God. Why, God? Why, why have you let these days come on me? It's, it's a cry of deep emotion, but it's directed to God. The only place that we can take our sorrows. There's an old spiritual lament Some of you have heard the expression, 
Or the song, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And what's that saying? Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. It was an old spiritual. And it's saying that the, that referring to the feeling of a grieving mother who has lost her child. That's what sometimes a place like that can, is where we can find ourselves. Feeling that way. Feeling alone. Feeling forsaken. Confused. Dazed. You see, Christianity does not ignore the wounds of the world. It draws near to them. It looks up to God and cries out, but then it draws near. We've been put here to make a difference. It acknowledges, true Christianity acknowledges suffering and pain that was not supposed to be here in the original intention. And we're the reason why it is now, not God. He made his world perfect. We messed it up. And yet we cry to him when we find ourselves in the midst of it. You see, it acknowledges suffering and pain. And that's the powerful reality of a biblical lament. Now secondly, this is the greater part of that. That's first just 1A there, just the first part. Woe is me. And then now he's going to start cataloging the wickedness that he sees. And that's the reasons in verses 1b through 6. What are the reasons that Micah gives uh, us for his grief? What are the reasons of why Micah is grieving so? Well, there are three that he catalogs. And they're found, as I said, in verses 1b through 6. Listen again. For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, and there is no cluster to eat, no ripe fig that may that my soul desires. He's basically saying there's no righteousness any longer. The fruit of righteousness is abandoned. It's gone. It's, it's been lost completely. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. Very Elijah-like. Hear that tone again. They are all lying wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul, and thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in friend. Guard the doors of your mouth for her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. Well, cheery stuff, right? No. Terrible time. A terrible circumstance in which Micah and the remnant found themselves, the faithful remnant, 
here's basically in three kind of simple taking all of that metaphorical word picture language this is what was basically being said he laments he describes first of all a monumental moral collapse that's in the first uh, second for after woe is me all the way through the second verse it's a monumental moral collapse of righteousness he laments and grieves because of the disappearance of righteousness the land of judah is now not full of good fruit but rotten fruit it's widespread moral breakdown idolatry open and in the face not even trying to hide bribes all kinds of evil and unjust things being done we don't have to look too far in the second part it's not, there's a moral breakdown the second area is breakdown of the nation's leadership in verse 3 and we don't have to look very far back then we wouldn't have had to look very far to see the corruption of the judges and of the politicians and even of some of the priests we don't have to look too far in our time either to see the swamp creatures and the corrupt politicians blighting the land just turning our country into something we don't even recognize anymore because of evil that is going unchecked and is not being fought against finally there's an area of not only wickedness and moral declension and a breakdown of leadership and corruption in our leaders but there's also an area of failure in the family failure in the family things have gotten so bad that the relationships of people in families are coming unraveled and it's gotten so bad that people can't trust the members of their own household verse 5 you remember that Jesus, when he was on this earth, said something very similar to that. His citation from Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, a man's enemies shall be those of his own household. Now, I wish it were not so, but much of the moral decay and corrupt leadership and failure of the family that we see it's all around us it's in our time too it was true of Micah thousands of years ago unfortunately the same sin seed that was in them is in us and in particularly those that have walked away and turned their back on God and said I will have nothing to do with him there will be nothing but the increase of evil and breakdown when that is the case I wish it weren't so but it feels very familiar doesn't it 
we look around, if we have our eyes open. Now, here's the really important part of this. These things are not just unfortunate circumstances that have befallen those poor Israelites back in Micah's day. Oh, they just got, they just, they just got a bad break. Uh, somebody just didn't treat them right, and, 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 and they're kind of you know, down and out, and they really have no way to, to uh, improve their lot. They're just going to have to go on the way they are. No, not at all. These things were not just unfortunate circumstances that had, quote, befallen them, as if it somehow fallen out of the sky. They were part and parcel of the judgment of God that he puts in the way of those who defy him and defile his name. They were part and parcel of God's judgment, and whenever people forsake God, eventually all the wheels of their wagon are going to come off. Might take a long time, might slide by for a long time, but eventually those wheels of adjustments, the wheel of judgment will grind eventually, and it will grind to powder. When we decide we are going to be captains of our own faith, masters of our own destiny, we don't need God, we've got everything we need to be God ourselves. We'll build us another and better Tower of Babel. When we turn our back on God, we are inviting, just begging for the judgment to come. If you don't believe it, listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I'm not going to read it all, but listen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness here's what they do with their unrighteousness suppress the truth they know it's true but they suppress it and they will say I will not have that God over me I'd rather live in a hut in a hole than have to be accountable to the God who made me so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. You wonder why? It literally seems like people are crazy today. You say, this, they, this, I couldn't have conceived of anybody being that stupid what comes out of the mouths of some of our leaders? It's just unbelievable. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They're blind as a bat because of their sin. And their rebellion. And then the culmination. Claiming to be wise. They became what? Fools. We live in a land of 
foolish people. All common sense seems to be so far gone. But there's one other note here. There's the reality. There are the reasons for what the wickedness that we're going on. But there's also something hopeful here. Despite all the bad news, there is the release in chapter 7. Unexpectedly, Micah finds sweet release as his song takes a, does a 180 and turns from a dark lament into a bright confidence in God. Even though the circumstances aren't fixed, the cavalry hasn't come, but everything's changed and it's changed inside of him because of where he's got his focus. Listen again to verse 7. After that long litany of all these horrible things, then he says, but, but, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. I mean, you're talking about a 180. I mean, he was down deeper than a, a rattlesnake in a wagon wheel rut. But now he's flooded with confidence. What could have made the difference? His circumstances hadn't changed. They're still going into judgment. They're still going into captivity. But Micah. There's been a release. There's been a lifting of the spirit. There's been something else that has come in and taken over the angst and the anger and the fear. You see, before he waited for judgment in verse 4, he was waiting just like, I just can't. We deserve it. We need a whooping. We need it now. He was like, okay, God, bring it on. We deserve it. But before he waited for judgment, now he watches in hope for the Lord to save him and the righteous remnant. What can make such a difference in calamitous times like this. How did Micah find hope? And closer to home, how do we find hope in lamentable circumstances? Let's just leave Micah out of this altogether. How did he find it? But then how in the world are we going to? Because there's a lot of parallels. Sin is sin and it happens everywhere. It's a fallen world that is broken. It's a hard place to be. Well, here's how he found hope. 
on what he focused on, these three things that he just said. The first one, I will look to the Lord. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. It doesn't sound too big and fancy on the surface. But he's saying, you see, hope results from keeping our eyes on the Lord, not on our circumstances. That's why we get overwhelmed. We keep looking at the circumstances and get obsessed with that. Instead, we need to lift up our eyes into the hills, our eyes into the hills from whence what? Our help comes, says the psalmist. Stop looking and griping and grumbling and cry out to God. Lament if you have to, but look to Him. You see, if we look at our circumstances, we will be tempted to doubt. But Micah says, I will look to the Lord. You know else who said that? The writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and, and perfecter of our faith. How do you, the Hebrews were in a terribly bad circumstance, a series of circumstances. They were persecuted, and yet the writer says, get your eyes on Jesus. Start seeing Jesus together, which is what your bulletin tells you to do every week. There's a reason we say that. It is to get your mind and your focus off of your other things and casting a look on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Secondly, in the second one, where he says, I will wait for the God of my salvation. You see, hope results from trusting in God's promise and provision, even if it has not yet come. That's what it means to live by faith and not by sight. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Micah was channeling his inner Tom Petty when he said, waiting is the hardest part. But he was confident that though waiting's the hardest part, and he doesn't like waiting any more than you and I do, he was confident that God's promises ultimately will not falter and they will not fail. Even if it's how bad it may feel and what it feels like now, what God has promised will come to pass. His purposes will ripen fast every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet shall be the flower. We'll be singing that song in just a few moments. Thirdly, here's another reason how we can have hope in lamentable times. Not only because we keep our eyes on Jesus, and not only because of we focus on the promises and provision of God, but also hope results from knowing that 
God hears our prayer. Now, I didn't say that God is going to answer your prayer the way you want it. (laughs) Praise God, he doesn't do that sometimes, because a lot of times what we think would get us what we want and get us where we need to be, he knows better. Father really does know best. But the prayer will be heard. And insofar as it is in in the counsel of his purpose and will, it will be answered in the time of his appointing, in the way of his appointing. And it's better to leave that with him, not with us. You see, hope results from knowing that God hears our prayers. My God will hear me. He didn't say, my God's going to fix things the way I want it. But he said, God will hear me. And if I know I have his heart, and I know I have his attention and his presence, I can go through anything. That's what he was saying. He says he hears and answers prayers as he works out his will in our lives. For his own glory and for our good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him according to his purpose. Today's text is a song a lament. And as Christians, we must understand there are lamentable times in our lives. And we are not going to get a get-out-of-jail-free card from our Father. We're going to have to go through some of that, just as his own son did, and far more than we will ever know. That seems to be the way the Lord works, the upside-down nature of his kingdom. We must understand that there will be times of sad circumstances and big disappointments in our lives because we didn't get what we thought we deserved or what we wanted or what we desire. But you can have. You can have disappointment with God or without him. That's a choice you've got, always. You can have disappointment without God or with him. I'll take the latter. Anytime, any day, any circumstance. You see, there's a lot of people running around and they've decided they're going to, they're going to dust God. He hasn't delivered according to what they expect him to be and do. And because he disappointed them, they're done. They're through with him. And they walked away from the faith. But the matter, see, really isn't whether or not you're going to be either disappointed with God or without him. There, there is on, those are the only two choices. You will be disappointed 
and you can rage against the machine and you can stomp and fuss and cry and cuss. Or you can say, Father, this hurts so much. I'm disappointed, but you know best. It is far better to be disappointed with God. The God who knows and has planned a plan for us and a purpose that is far beyond our wildest dreams. In his time, in his way, leaving that with him instead of trying to make it and force it for ourselves. I think I've shared this many years ago, and I'm going to share it again now. And if you, a lot of you weren't here, so and most of you either won't remember, you just will have forgotten, or you will you will uh, uh, not even know this. It's, this is a, a song by uh, one of my uh, uh, favorite artists. Uh, been around a while. He's a uh, guy kind of got the same haircut as I do now, except he wears a cap most of the time. And I'm referring to Phil Keggy, an outstanding guitar player, and. But he wrote a, a lot of songs, uh, Christian songs, after he became a Christian. And, um, and one of the ones that is probably one of my favorites is just profoundly encouraging. And the song, its title is Disappointment. Disappointment. And I want you to listen to its lyrics in light of what I'm saying here. Remember, you can have disappointment with God. Or without him. Disappointment. His appointment. Change one letter. Then I see. That the thwarting of my purpose. Is God's better choice. For me. His appointment. Must be blessing. Though it may come in disguise. For the end from the beginning open to his vision lies. He's got this. He understands and knows what you don't and what I don't. Second verse, disappointment. His appointment. Who's the Lord who loves me best? Understands and knows me fully who my faith and love would test. For like loving earthly parents, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts unquestioned all that from his wisdom flows. You want to know what honors him? Face disappointment like that. Leaving it to him. Third verse. Disappointment. His appointment. No good thing will he withhold. From denials oft we gather treasures of his love untold. You thought that thing was going to be a terrible thing. And it turned out to be a hidden jewel. Well he knows each broken purpose Leads to a fuller, deeper trust. And the end of all his dealings proves that our God 
is wise and just. Finally, again, disappointment. His appointment. Just three letters that are being changed. Disappointment, his appointment. Disappointment, his appointment. Lord, I take them as such. Like clay in the hands of a potter, yielding wholly to his touch. My life plan is all his molding. Not one single choice be mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my will. Not my will, but thine. Remember, remember, child of God. We really are better off in God's hands than we are in our own. Do you believe that? May God help us. And that is a very comforting place to be. Amen. Father, you know our disappointment, but oh Lord, we always want it to be with you, not without you. And even if we can't understand, and even if it never seems to unfold the way we wish or want, Father, help us to be willing to say, not my will, but yours disappointment, his appointment. Father, let let all things be that disappoint us. Be that, but be his, your appointment, your chosen purpose. And Father, let us rest in that. Father, we pray now and thank you for this release that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Going to sing a perfectly 